0: So if you know two of my grandsons, Asher and Jude, you know that they love the Transformers. Transformers. They've taught me so much about Optimus Prime and Megatron and Bumblebee. I've learned so much from these guys. Uh, For the uninitiated among us, which I see the look in your eyes, uh, Transformers... Are a really big deal. And they are a really a mega media franchise that is put out by Hasbro, the toy company. (laughs) Imagine that. Uh, They might make some money on that. Um, And their shows and their movies tell the stories of sentient living robots called Autobots. And they are from the fictional planet Cybertron. And they transform into vehicles and sometimes animals and they're all fighting against decepticons how'd i do asher is that true he's yeah he's making oh, he's my fact checker back there good so that's about all i can tell you about transformers and it took wikipedia for me to tell you that much Um, asher could tell you so much more he's very articulate if you ever want to sit down and talk with him, he would be happy to share with you. But unlike Asher, I'm not qualified to talk about transforming robots that become cars, planes, and trucks. But I can tell you how Jesus transforms the empty, broken, and fruitless into the abundant, restored, and fulfilled. He transformed me. And more than likely, he transformed you too. Earlier, Josh said in the video, Jesus transforms and that's really good news. And he said, even better news is that that's not the end of it. He is continually transforming us. And you'll be happy to know, Josh... That it's not just Brother Curtis that can also attest to this fact. You're actually in good company. The Apostle Paul attests to this fact, and he says it in Second Corinthians chapter two, verse th- uh, Verse, excuse me, second chapter, Second <laughs> Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Into the same image with the one from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Transformation is a promise from God. It's a mystery, but it's promised to us. And what this verse is telling us, what Josh told us earlier, was that as we behold him, we are being transformed from one glory to the next one degree of glory beyond where we were before. It's not just a a glance in his direction. It's being completely captivated by him. It's being enraptured by his glory. It's being so focused on him that you don't think about many other things other than what he desires and what he wants from you. It's where you Put your eyes, as scripture tells us, on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. It's where you see him as he really is, as he truly is. That's what leads to transformation, is when you see him. Scripture tells us, when you see him that way, you start becoming like him. Now, that's mysterious. It's even better than the Transformers from Cybertron. That's the thing that we're all a part of. Now, it's a much slower process than we like, right? (laughs) I mean, we'd much prefer transformation in larger chunks, in bigger degrees. But as Paul says, it's one degree at a time. The New American Standard Bible says it's from glory to glory, or as Peterson says in the message, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful, as God enters our lives and we become like him. This fall, we are looking at this kind of Jesus. We're beholding him and we're doing it on purpose. We're thinking about this question that he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And we're asking it in such a way that it could be Jesus standing here asking you, who do you say that he is? As we answer that question for ourselves throughout the next couple of months, I hope that you will remember that Jesus reveals himself, and as he does, he invites you into a relationship with him. It's not just a set of facts. It's a relationship. Now, of all the people that the Bible talks about being transformed Maybe the most surprising is a woman in Samaria at a watering hole where Jesus finds himself. If you have your Bibles or your device, turn to John chapter 4, and we're going to read this story because it's just so good, you can't not read it. John chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, which is fascinating that Jesus would be weary from a journey. Shows that he is fully man while being fully God. He was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which is noon. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jewish man, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, that's the kind of water I want. That's that's my version. Sir, give me that water so that I may never thirst and never have to come here to draw water again. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband. "'And come here.' And the woman answered him, "'I have no husband.' And Jesus said to her, "'You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true.' the woman said to him, "'Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet.' God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. When he comes, he will teach us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman. <laughs> But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar. Apparently she had been changed. She left her water jar and she went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out to the town and were coming to him. What transformation. Not only in her but if you keep reading, in her whole village. All starting with Jesus being tired and thirsty in a place that Jews never were. And he's asking a strange woman for some water before flipping the narrative from asking for it to offering it. (laughs) She's wondering, why is this Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman and he doesn't even have a bucket? How's he going to give me water? But she's there drawing water alone. Not when all the other women would be there early in the morning. She's there at the heat of the day, drawing water because her shame and the ridicule she suffered keeps her isolated. Jesus is violating every taboo when he talks to this woman. Religious, racial, gender. He busts every barrier wide open And it begs the question, why exactly is Jesus here in Samaria? Why did he have to go? That's what verse 4 tells us. He had to pass through Samaria. And we all think, well, of course he did. That's traveling necessity. Like, you know, you have to travel through downtown if you're going to the airport. But Jews did not pass through Samaria. They did everything to avoid it like the plague Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. That's why John would say in parentheses, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So why did Jesus have to pass through Samaria? Well, obviously because the Holy Spirit led him there. Everywhere Jesus went, the Holy Spirit was leading him. But in verse 42, there is a statement that's offered to us that I think gives us even more context It's offered by those in this woman's village. And she had gone and told them all that this man was telling her. And they listened to her and came and listened to him for themselves. And then they said, in verse 42, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior Of the world. Now that's a profound title, the Savior of the world. These are not Jews saying that. The reason Jesus had to go to Samaria is the same reason Jesus had to be born in Israel because he came to save the world. He came to save the Jewish world and the Samaritan world and the Roman world and your world, my world. Notice how Jesus moves past all of this talk of water and wells. He moves into her vulnerable spot where she is broken and hurting and in need. Her woundedness. That she's had five husbands and we don't know why. Maybe they all died, which makes you wouldn't wouldn't want to marry her, right? Because you might be next. Or maybe she's been rather promiscuous. Or maybe she's been divorced many times. Whatever the case may be, it's a hurt. It's a wound that's deep inside of her. Now the man she's living with is not her husband. Jesus will always enter into our woundedness. He doesn't stand back disgusted by our gaping wounds of hurt and misery and heartache. He knows better than we know ourselves. He knows it all. And he walks right into this woman's life and he touches the most painful, hurtful thing she has ever experienced. It reminds me of something I learned from Cindy Chen. She was telling me a few years ago that she used to, as she when she was younger, enjoy horses, and she read a lot about them, and she loved horses, and she told me that she learned how horses and their wounds are healed. And Gina could maybe talk to this. It's not like un- unlike other animals or even uh, humans. There is a-, a healing process if you get a scrape or a cut or a burn. It's called granulation tissue, and it forms. It's, you get a cut or hurt, and you have this reddish tissue that begins to grow, and it scabs over, and it provides healing. It helps you. But the problem for horses is they produce tissue quite rapidly. And it's a condition called exuberant or hypergranulation. Or as it's commonly called, proud flesh. Proud flesh. One equine expert said that proud flesh or exuberant granulation can be, take on a life of its own. It, it grows and it manages to take over such a force that it actually prohibits healing rather than encouraging it. Proud flesh can grow so big that it's like a tumor and you're actually hurt more because of it than you were helped by it. We do this, don't we? When we're hurt, when we're hurting, we get hurt and wounded and something exuberant in us kicks into hyperdrive, and we start trying to protect ourselves from any further injury. We don't mind being transparent because that seems cool, and we're authentic, and people can know us, but we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want someone, especially someone like Jesus, to come into that wound where we're so hurting. So what do we do? We let proud flesh grow over it to try to protect us from being injured ever again. We all do it. The problem is that this wound just keeps getting more infected and growing more dangerous and causing more harm. Did you notice that the woman tries to change the subject? <laughs> Did you notice that when he calls her out, she's like, I perceive you to be a prophet. She got all religious on him. She's pious. Now she's trying to deflect. She is trying to argue doctrine and talk about where we should worship. She's avoiding the issue, dodging his his pursuit, sidestepping the pain, protecting herself from further injury. But Jesus doesn't get distracted. He doesn't get caught up in her theological hurdles. He just keeps pursuing her heart because he knows her better than she even knows herself. Because he knows her that way, he's inviting her to see that hurt and find healing in himself and to relate to him just as he wants to relate to her. Jesus identifies himself this way in verse 26. I who speak to you am he. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, if you're perceptive, you might realize that that's a very important phrase that he just used. It's the same phrase that God used in self-disclosing to Moses in the burning bush when he said, I am that I am. And when Jesus looks at her, he has called all of the Old Testament prophecy into account when he says to her in the middle of her pain where she's protected herself from further injury I am who I am. Jesus knows her intimately and he invites her to know him intimately too. The video we watched earlier Emily said this which I thought was just so profound and is a good summary for today's talk. When I think about the transforming presence of Jesus, I think about his love for me and how it casts out all fear. And it's stronger than the love I have for myself. I can lay down my own means of protecting myself. I can lay down my need to care for myself. We can stop with the exuberant self-protection we need to stop with the hyper avoidance and the proud flesh. We need to be vulnerable with the one who comes to invite us into relationship with him for he knows us better than we know ourselves, and he is here to provide healing in ways that you'll never be able to have apart from him. The great I am knows us better than we know us, and he reveals himself to us. He is inviting us into this thirst-quenching, wound-healing, life-giving relationship with him where we gradually become brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Amen. Donna's going to come and we're going to pray for you this morning and then have our closing song. Just give you opportunity in a few moments to even step outside. And this is what I'd say to you as she's coming. You may want someone to pray for you. And some of our elders and leaders will be out on the front step here. If you'd like for them to pray for you, just go up to them. They'll be standing there. They'd be happy to pray with you in regards to what we've heard this morning.
1: Jesus is our transforming truth, our life, our way. And everything that Chris was saying today is something that we need in salvation and then ongoing, continuously. Like Josh said, he's continuing to transform me. So I was thinking about the revelation of Jesus. These messages that you're talking with us about are are pictures of him continuing from the Revelation series. And the word reveal means make previously unknown or secret information known to others. And that brought to mind Deuteronomy twenty-nine, twenty-nine: For the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may obey. He isn't telling us who he is so we can be amazed, although we are. We are. He's telling us who he is because his revelation accomplishes several things, and I'm just going to list these sentences and then I'll pray. He reveals himself because, as Chris said, it's an invitation to know him as we are known. He reveals himself to increase our ability and capacity to believe. We're back to faith, Brother Jim was talking about. His revelation sparks that faith in us. His revelation equips us to obey. The revealed things belong to us. Why did it say in Deuteronomy? So we will obey. And he transforms us into good, effective witnesses. Because when we see the revealed Jesus, we become more like him. My prayer for us this morning is that as we see who he is revealing himself to be, that it will invite us into deeper fellowship. It will increase our faith. It will equip obedience. And it will transform our witness. That's good. Father, thank you that you've shared your son with us and he has revealed you to us. Thank you that in this gift of revelation, it is truly everything we need for life and godliness. Jesus is the gift. And in the stories that you are leading us to review, in the ways you're prompting us to remember what Pete said, that we start with what you've done and that puts us on the right path. We don't want to take lightly the secrets that you are sharing because you're doing it in a display of intimacy so that we will respond in kind. You've been open and we want to open up our hearts you and live lives open before you and be good and effective witnesses.
0: Father, we confess to you that we're good at protecting ourselves, but that's no protection at all. It's exposed us to all sorts of further injury, further damage, unforgiveness, unresolved matters infectious um, engagement in areas that are not beneficial to us or anyone else. Forgive us, Lord, for exuberantly protecting ourselves at the expense of your own work. We confess to you, Lord, we need you. We know you know us better than we know ourselves, but we need you to help us see you so that we can be changed from glory to glory into your image with you living inside of us. I pray for all of our community, those that could be here this morning and those that are watching, those that are engaged in their communities and those that are having to stay at home. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen and encourage each one of us that we might be witnesses, as Donna has said, to all those that are around. We ask these things in Jesus' name.